Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan, and I'm going to be on my own this time for the podcast this week. What we're going to discuss today is ventilation in the asthmatic. So this is the patient that has not done well with your traditional therapy for asthma. You've decided to intubate them. The intubation is done, and now how do you go about ventilating that patient? And before we touch on the ventilation, I just want to give a couple of tips on the intubation process itself. Now, typically, I'm using rock uranium. I have a number of reasons for that. You can go back to the past podcast of why rock uranium over succinylcholine. I'm going to use ketamine as my induction agent. It may give a little bit of bronchodilation. Seems to be advantageous here. And a couple of the other tips that we want to do is we want to use the largest E2 tube we possibly can because there's going to probably be some mucus plugging and you might need to do some aggressive suctioning. And number two is that you want to keep the patient upright as long as possible before you do the intubation process. That's going to help them from desaturating. Now let's move into the ventilation itself. This can be very tricky. In fact, intubating the asthmatic is not the hard part. It's really ventilating the asthmatic where we can run into trouble. Why is it so difficult to ventilate these patients? Because of air trapping, these patients get dynamic hyperinflation. Every time they take a breath in and then they try to exhale, the next breath initiates before they fully exhale. So you get auto-peeping. This auto-peep can accumulate and accumulate and accumulate until the size of the chest gets pretty big. The lung volumes are pretty large before they've even taken another breath. As those lung volumes increase, either the patient blows out a lung, so they develop a spontaneous pneumothorax that's going to be under tension, or their lungs are so elastic, especially in younger patients, that they expand and expand and expand, and they drop their pulmonary venous return to zero, and then they have an asystolic arrest. So these are two of the dangers that we can see when patients breath stack. So in order to avoid that breath stacking, we need a strategy with which we're going to ventilate these patients. And the strategy that most of us use is called permissive hypercapnia. Basically, what we do here is we give the patient a long time to exhale in order to avoid some more of that breath stacking. The way we give them that time to exhale is by giving them a low respiratory rate. Now, as a result of that hypoventilation, their CO2 is going to rise and their pH is going to fall. That's why we call it permissive hypercapnia. So they develop this respiratory acidosis. And we need to keep a close eye on that because we don't want that pH to get too low. Now, the way that we're going to set our vent to start with is we're going to start with a tidal volume somewhere in the 6 to 8 cc range. It's sort of lung protective strategy, but a little bit on the higher end of that ARDSnet cc per kilo that they ask for. Number two is the respiratory rate, and we're going to set this pretty low. I usually will start patients somewhere around 6 to 8 breaths per minute, although some people will talk about starting as high as 10. The key here, the key isn't necessarily knowing where to start, but what to look at to titrate that number down. The other thing we can do here to increase the amount of time the patient has to exhale is to deliver the breath faster. So we're going to change the peak flow up to somewhere around 90 to 120 liters per minute. So again, this gives a fast breath in and gives a longer time for the patient to blow all that air out. Now, the truth is that the thing that makes the most difference here is that respiratory rate. If you take the respiratory rate down to that 6 to 8 range, it gives the patient somewhere in the 8 to 10 second range to exhale that breath. So plenty of time to do that. Now, as far as PEEP, one of the other settings on the vent, I'm not sure that it matters that much what you set it at. Some people talk about giving zero PEEP. Some people say, ah, zero PEEP isn't safe. Give five PEEP. The patient has their own PEEP to begin with. Somewhere in the zero to five range is probably fine. 
Now, once you've started those initial settings, you also need to know how to check to see how the patient's doing on your settings. Now, the vent is often going to be alarming because the peak pressures are going to be very high. That is the typical thing that sets the alarm off. Now, we know the peak pressures are going to be high here because we're giving that breath really fast. And the peak pressure reflects what's going on in the upper airways and in the vent circuit itself, where they're sensing that big flow of air that's coming in because you've raised your peak flow. So what we need to look at instead is the plateau pressure. The plateau pressure reflects the pressure that's felt at the level of the alveoli. Now your vent won't give this number to you. You actually have to do a little maneuver, but it's really simple. What you need to do is press the inspiratory pause button on your ventilator, and by pressing that, it actually will spit out this plateau pressure. The number you're looking for is 30. If your plateau pressure is under 30 millimeters of mercury, you're in the safe zone. You're not causing any damage to the alveoli. If your plateau pressure is higher than 30, then you're gonna to have to change some settings to relieve that pressure that's felt by the alveoli. And here, the one that we're gonna be focused on is changing that respiratory rate. We're gonna bring that respiratory rate down even further in order to protect the alveoli, give the lungs plenty of time to exhale that breath and avoid that auto-peeping. Despite our best efforts, we can still run into problems with these patients even if we're using this strategy of ventilation. We can see hypoxia and we can see hemodynamic instability. When we see this in the asthmatic patient who's been intubated, we need a systematic approach to tackle the problems that could arise. And the way to do this is with the DOPES mnemonic. That's D for displacement, so that's the ET tube is not where you left it. O for obstruction, the ET tube has become obstructed typically by a mucus plug. P for pneumothorax, pretty self-explanatory, E for equipment failure, and S for stacked breaths. Now, you're not going to necessarily address these in that order, but we're going to go through each of them. So displacement, someone needs to get up to the head of the bed and check to see if the ET tube is still in place. O for obstruction, someone needs to put a catheter down that ET tube and see whether it's obstructed and whether that obstruction can be cleared or the patient needs to be re-intubated. P for pneumothorax. Now in the past, what we used to do is say if the patient develops hemodynamic instability, which hints at a tension pneumothorax, go ahead and do decompression on both sides of the chest, then put in a chest tube. We didn't want to wait for the x-ray to occur to do that. Now though, with ultrasound at point of care, we can probably get this diagnosis done pretty quickly and save the patient from unnecessary either finger thoracostomies or needle decompression in chest tubes. However, if you can't get the ultrasound done quickly, if you're not sure what the ultrasound shows, then I would go right to needle decompression and bilateral chest tubes. E for equipment failure, so make sure your ventilator is actually working. The easy way to take this out of play is to unplug the vent and start giving BVM breaths. That way you know that the equipment is not the issue. And then lastly, that S for stacked breaths, what we've been talking about most of the time here, that auto-peeping these patients can develop. Again, you can get hyperinflation and you can drop your pulmonary venous return going into asystole. Now, one of the ways to relieve this is to disconnect the vent circuit and allow the patient to fully exhale. You're gonna actually hear a wheeze, this wheeze trickling out of the ET tube as they exhale. And you don't wanna give them another breath until that wheeze has completed. That can take 10, 12, 14 seconds. You can help this process along by doing a forceful exhale. You're gonna place your hands on the patient's chest and you're gonna gently compress the thoracic cage in order to allow the patient to blow the air out. So that's the DOPES mnemonic. Again, displacement of the ET tube, obstruction of the ET tube, pneumothorax, E for equipment failure, and S for stacked breaths. You wanna address all of these things when the patient has hemodynamic instability or hypoxia that develops after you've ventilated them. 
So that's our short review of how to ventilate an asthmatic. Remember, we're gonna approach them with this idea of permissive hypercapnia, allow for a low respiratory rate that allows them to fully exhale, and then if the patient becomes unstable, you're gonna hit up that dopes mnemonic to address all of the potential issues. Now, I gave a longer talk on this that was recorded over on the Rebel EM site. I'm gonna drop a link to the show notes, and that's gonna give you a full approach to the crashing asthmatic as far as medications, intubation, and then a review again of how to ventilate those patients. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. If you like our podcast, please go on over to iTunes and give us a nice review. Give us five stars. If you don't like it, give us some feedback of what you don't like and what you would like to see in the future. Come on over and check out our Facebook page, our Google Plus page, and follow us on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks and see you all next week.